Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon, and this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And I'll say that again. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So, hey. Hey, so we've been getting ready for, well, I've been getting ready for today's show, and there's been a lot of things happening over the week. It's interesting, um, last Sunday I gave Omarosa a shout-out, feel like a kind of jinxer because I was teasing about her getting her reparations check, and a few days after that, you know, she had to walk the plank. Not quite sure what was going on with that, but I found it was interesting uh, with the interviews that she gave, especially the one on NBC with Deborah, and yes, I forgot Deborah's last name, but she's um, married to Al Roker, Norville, and so she was talking about how Omarosa was talking about how she was a little concerned with things that she said, and then all of a sudden, you know, Donald Trump is racial, not racist, per Omarosa. And on Good Morning America, ABC, with Michael Strahan, she was saying basically she had some issues and about how certain things impacted her community, her people. And so, you know, that kind of caught the rest of us off guard, like, really, Omarosa? So you back on the team now. You're back on squad, right? And so I was just sitting there and watching it. And what I will say is Omarosa is the ultimate show woman because this is all a play for her tell-all book that, you know, she's trying to write. What's interesting is the day after she was allegedly escorted off of the premises, she was back the next day to have a meeting with Trump himself, right? So, but that was after she did the interviews. So that's what's been really interesting about it. Um, they were saying, I believe, her last day would be January 20th, although she had basically stated that she was leaving to pursue other opportunities per the White House. What's interesting about all of that is they're probably attempting to make her sign some paperwork so that she can get that last paycheck. Because those of you that have worked in government or corporate America or academia, you know, sometimes when they riff, RIF, reduction in force, and, you know, certain people are pushed out before you can get your severance package they usually have you sign this paperwork stating that you will not badmouth your former employer and, you know, the condition, that's one of the conditions for you to receive your severance package. So I'm not quite sure what happened, but something tells me there was a negotiation happening there because she had already, you know, set the tone and started, you know, so it's, it's going to be interesting. Watching that entire situation, you know, reading different stories 
from my understanding, you know, apparently she had been calling Trump to get a cabinet position. So she wanted to be appointed to a cabinet position, which would have taken her through the entire process of being approved by the legislators and all of that. And it's just, it's, the whole situation, like I said, is just abysmal sitting here and being forced to be a part of this reality show. And normally I wouldn't even address this type of situation except for the fact that I find it interesting because a lot of the scuttlebutt on the street was that Omarosa didn't necessarily want another person of color to be part of the senior advisor's role or anyone that's even remotely close to being in a position she was in. She was interested in being the only butterfly in the milk, I mean only fly in the milk or the buttermilk. And so, you know, the whole thing is, you know, now this this is interesting, but this is because as a woman of color, I've seen different situations like that, you know, transpire. So it's going to be interesting, like I said, to watch it come to full fruition to see what she's offered. There's no telling. They're probably trying to offer her another position somewhere else. But apparently, from what the scuttlebutt says, yet again, her and General Kelly didn't get along or they clashed. So it's interesting, especially after General Kelly and how he came after you know, a woman of color um, a while ago. And, you know, again, you have to look at that administration and how Donald Trump has gone after people of color, but especially women. And women of color, you know, he's particularly vicious. And so you just have to take all that into consideration and it is what it is and you move on. Because, again, we have absolutely no control over what's happening there. And now people are looking at Ben Carson. And Omarosa brought up a point about diversity or the lack thereof in that particular administration. So when the press caught up with Ben Carson, he stated that he had no diversity issues in his department. And so... um, just this whole situation is just is horrible. And, and, but, you know, you all know how I feel about the term diversity and how many different organizations, you know, how they toy with that word, how it means one thing to one group of people and something different to another group of people. And so, um, and they know this. You know, these predominantly white corporations and organizations, they know they know that we're hearing a lot of this information a lot differently. So just wanted to kind of bring that to your attention. It's been, you know, this has been a year, a really interesting year watching this administration. 
what's so funny was um, the other day I was having a conversation with a, with a friend, and I was talking about the Trump-Bannon administration. And, you know, in private conversations, I'm known to call it the pinky and the brain administration at times, you know, which one is pinky and which one is the brain. And so that brings us to what happened in Alabama, Roy Moore and Doug Jones, and just how those campaigns were conducted. And, you know, either next week or either next Sunday or the Sunday after that, I'm going to talk specifically about the black community and and voting and the impact that we actually have on the voting process. One of my criticisms or critiques with the Hillary Clinton um, run for election when she ran for president this last time in her ultimate defeat in 2016, if you go back, if you've listened to the shows, you've heard me critique the Clinton administration or her camp there about how they ignored the black community, how they didn't invest any money really into canvassing, you know, the black community. Now they did a major canvassing of the Latinx community, but they had taken for granted the black vote. They just automatically thought that the black community would vote for Hillary Clinton. Also, they were assuming that the black community would come out in droves for her as they did for Barack Obama in 2008 and 2016. And that didn't happen. And they also didn't count on the fact that white voters, some white Democratic voters, would basically cross over and vote for Donald Trump. So, you know, I don't think any of us had anticipated that that would happen. And so it's been interesting, you know, watching the entire situation, um, reading some of the post-mortem reports, and it just came as a major surprise for a number of people when they saw the people who were transitioning. So, again, it's a lot to learn from that situation and Hopefully, you know, we've learned some things and we can move forward, but it would behoove the Democratic, you know, um, the DNC, it would behoove them to really take a look at everything that happened and to make some changes. And so what's been interesting is seeing some of these so-called Democratic leaders on these different cable television news shows talking about, you know, the black vote is what determined what happened in Alabama. And while that's true, you know, they devoted some resources, you know, even though they're claiming, you know, some, you know, a lot of victory in all of this. You know, if you all go back and you do some of the reading about what was happening in Alabama and what was not happening in Alabama. That's more important. You know how they were running some of the talking points, especially, and I hit on this last week when I talked about how 
there were some people out there stating that the black community, to a certain degree, was beholden to Doug Jones because he convicted the people that bombed that church that killed the four little girls. And my contention with that, as I spoke last week, was did he prosecute those people because it was the right thing to do or because he was trying to build a political career and needed the black community to be on his side? If that's the truth, then I have a problem with that. You know, those gentlemen should have, well, not gentlemen, but those white terrorists, white supremacists, white nationalists should have been convicted because it was the right thing to do, not because of some, you know, you know, some some type of career aspiration. So, you know, and what's interesting about that even more was some of the other scuttlebutt coming out of Alabama regarding, you know, black communities and, you know, how we owe the Democratic community something or the Democratic Party something. And that's not true. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit more um, in a broadcast because, you know, you have some people out here that are just saying some really, really irresponsible things. And, you know, last week on the show, you know, I talked about how you have people out here that are twisting the language, you know, kind of convoluting the message and conflating, you know, two different worlds, two different cultures, if you will, in their effort to gain power. And when I spoke about that, you know, I did caution you all. And I stated that this is happening over, you know, in several different groups, seven different subcultures in this country, and it is. And they're using some particular techniques to make sure that they get the attention of the people because, see, this is the thing. Number one, they want your money. Number two, they want the numbers, but specifically, they are attempting to appeal to different communities of color in their effort to shield themselves from charges of or, or accusations of being racist, sexist, misogynist, homophobic, so on and so forth. And I touched on an article that, you know, and I posted it on my wall, but basically was talking about how the alt-right went left and what they're doing to bring in people into their particular communities by putting out messages uh, regarding anti-capitalism, which that particular message is shrouded in anti-Semitism, right? And also, again, they're looking for a specific demographic. And I'm telling you guys not to be fooled by, you know, what they're trying to do. And, again, you know, we've warned you over the years of certain things that were happening. And also, even with the alt-right groups that are going after the left, I cannot forget, I must remember to tell you that that's happening in the church as well. So... I just don't want you guys to be caught off guard. 
I want you to be aware, you know, share the information with people, and I'll post these link. I'll buffer them out um, a little bit later after the show. But there's a lot happening, and I spoke specifically about how they would have, you know, people of color going into their own communities in an effort to forge a path and opening for some of these people to come through to infiltrate and dismantle and destroy what has been built in these communities. I mean, specifically in the Latinx and black communities, a lot of the wealth that we acquired, you know, over the generations, a lot of that was lost in 2007, 2008, when we had that mortgage bubble bust, right? And so this is why sometimes you'll hear me talking about how we are in an even worse state of condition than we were, you know, during the Depression era. And there's a lot of truth to that. And that's the reason, the main reason why I tell you all to go out there and to research and to read up on these things for yourselves. You know, if you, if, if you have older relatives, Sit down and talk to them. They're smarter than you think they are, and they know a lot more than you probably ever even thought about. And so have these conversations with them. Ask them about what has taken place. Ask them about their opinions of how it has affected our communities. Um, Ask them about, you know, missteps that we made especially, you know, the baby boomers and a generation X and Yers and even the millennials. And it's important to have these conversations, especially when you have older people that are still alive and that have had the opportunity to live this. See, they lived this. They experienced it. And, you know, they're, they're you know, dying off. So it's just important to have those conversations, not only to glean information, but also to spend some time with, you know, these older people. You know, they need some attention. And, you know, what's interesting is there have been numerous reports, and this is nothing new. This has been happening for a while about how you have people out here that are taking advantage of and abusing and misusing a lot of the elderly are geriatrics and how a lot of that could be stifled and thwarted and stopped if their families would only ask the right questions, spend more time, help them out. And many of them are fiercely independent. I get it. And you can they can still have their independence. But I think it's important that you have a better understanding as to who and what they're dealing with, just to kind of get a better understanding and, and and keep an eye on certain situations because in some cases when our, you know, elderly people, they're too embarrassed to tell their family what's happening. So they try to be quiet about it. They try to fix it themselves because a lot of that is, number one, they don't want to be embarrassed. Number two, they don't want their relatives trying to come in and take over their lives, and I get that. And it would be to your benefit to talk with them and then also talk with them about what they feel would be the best way to resolve 
some of this, these issues that have kind of gotten out of hand. So that's just me telling you guys, you know, sit down, talk to your grandparents, your great-grandparents, in some cases, great-great-grandparents, and talk to them about some of the things that are happening, not only with, you know, society at large, but with their own personal lives so that you can get a better understanding what's happening with them. So I'm going to let that go for right now, but again, like I said, you know, I'm laughing about how I was teasing Omarosa about getting a reparations check last week, and wow, see how much has changed in a matter of a week. So yeah, it's going to be interesting, but um, for those of you that are not aware, you saw that, you know, they've come to some type of agreement regarding this tax scam. And, again, you know, take some time out. Make some phone calls to your politicians. Write them emails. You can write them regular snail mail letters. All of those things to state your displeasure or state your opposition, or in some cases, to state, you know, that you, this is something that you want. However, for those out there who believe that they're truly going to benefit from this, if you're not in the 1%, and especially the top 10, well, the 10%, the top 10% of the 1%, in, in the long run, you're going to be hurt by this. And so what's interesting is some of the Republican holdouts, they held out until they got what they wanted. And even with some of the, you know, add-ons or perks that they wanted, um, it's, it's not going to work out the way that many of them are trying to make you believe. And they know very well that there are going to be some issues, some long-term problems but you need to be questioning why, <clears throat> excuse me, you need to be questioning why these corporations are getting permanent tax breaks and those of us that are on Main Street are not. And even with the tax breaks that they're giving you, they're taking away in other different areas. And so it's not going to be the big boom that many of you all believe. So, it's interesting because earlier this week I went to the Chicken Shack. I won't name which one, but I went to the Chicken Shack. So it was crowded, you know, waiting for our food. And then this one older black guy came in, and he brought up the conversation about Donald Trump and how he was happy about him, you know, coming down hard on immigrants and myself. I'm trying to ignore it. And so they went into that conversation, and then they brought God and religion in it. And, you know, I couldn't help myself. And so I started talking about, you know, the issues we're having in this country with the immigrants. And, and, and what I mean by that is I believe that people are looking at this the wrong way. Because if you look at the number of immigrants specifically, Mexicans and mestizos that have been leaving this country, it has been a steady exodus for well over 10 years. And the number of Mexicans that have been leaving America 
outweigh the number of Mexicans that have been coming into this country. In addition to that, with Barack Obama and his administration, they have deported record numbers of immigrants. And when I say that, I mean immigrants across the board. And so, um, you know, one guy wanted to argue that George Bush started this mass um, deportation. And I told him I agree with you. I didn't say Obama started it. I just said Obama ramped it up. And so he was like, well, there's some flaws in what you said. And I said, well, give me an example. And he brought up DACA. And I explained to him that I thought DACA was a good thing. But, you know, I understood where he was coming from because basically, you know, he's he he was stating that while we're out here advocating for other communities of color, our community is being further marginalized and oppressed, and I get that, and there's a lot of truth to that, and I understand it. However, what we must understand is when other communities of color are hurt and harmed in this matter, manner, that it does impact us, and it's just a matter of time before it comes to our community. And so it's important that we do stand up for one another in situations such as this. And so, you know, get out here. And, and again, you know, another part of the conversation was, what about black immigrants and how they're falling through the cracks and how that particular issue is not being addressed by the mainstream media? And that's true, too. If you go and you look up what's happening specifically with the Haitians right now, and and even some Africans, and how they're trying to deport them and push them out of this country. And, again, with the hurricanes, especially in the past few years, you know, Haiti has been devastated. And, you know, in addition to that, I also want you all to go and read up specifically about Haiti and, and um, colonialism and how Haiti is still paying a massive price for fighting the French and actually winning. And so a lot of the poverty and the oppression that you see over in Haiti has a lot to do with that, and Haiti is still paying France. You know, and so you need to pay attention to that as well as what's happening in Dominican Republican, uh, Dominican Republic and how they're pushing, you know, Haitians out, particularly, you know, it's a lot of colorism, and how people, Haitians that have lived there for generations, how their rights are being stripped away and they're being pushed to the other side of the island. And so, you know, and it's, it's more than just Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Is happening in a lot of places. I mean, you hear me talking about Cuba, and they do have colorism issues over there. They do have race racism, and you know a lot of those things over there. These these you know communities and countries of color, you know, again, some of the same problems they're having. Again, is a mirror image of what's happening in mainstream society. You know, I'm not going to say mainstream America because you know, you have a lot of white identified people living in these other countries. 
and they're fighting some of the same battles that people of color are fighting in this country. I think it's important for you guys to understand what's happening, you know, across the water as well. And so I'm going to go ahead and transition on and talk about what's happening with net neutrality and why it's important that you all understand what's happening there and how it's going to affect communities of color, right, especially with black women. Um, And basically, if you go and you read, there are some articles out there. And it's one particular article, in essence, that I would like for you to read. And it specifically is talking about black people and net neutrality and the impact that it's going to have in our particular communities. And for those that have lived in the inner cities and that still still currently live in inner cities, one of the problems that I ran into when I lived in a particular part of Chicago, they had not dropped lines for broadband, they hadn't dropped fiber or you know, any of those things in those particular areas. So in some of those areas, they were still using dial-up in 2001, 2002, 2003. And it's important for you guys to understand that and to know because in many of these communities, you know, the Internet access or access to the Internet is not the same. And that is being done on purpose. When it comes to communities of color, specifically black communities, we are way behind on that. And it's important that you guys understand it, but go and read that article. It says, the title of it is, We Need the Internet, What Black Women Stand to Lose If Net Neutrality Protections End. And for those that have been paying attention a lot of, you know, the gains that, you know, black people, but especially black women have made, it has been done due to the Internet, due to access to different people, different communities, other women of color that you normally would not have access to. You know, a lot of black women have been extremely successful that have found success via social media. And so it's important that we continue to do that. It's important that we continue to engage one another, that we continue to find and support one another. And, you know, a lot of this is being done on purpose. There's another article out there specifically talking about the Koch brothers and how they are basically, you know, one of the biggest obstacles to building broadband in many communities of color. And you need to understand why and the racism behind it and how they are attempting to contain and control communities of color. you got to remember the administration that is now in office and why it's important to them to, you know, basically deconstruct and dismantle a lot of the communication and the gains that have happened in communities of color, especially when you have these different movements that are out here. And one of the main reasons 
that, you know, Leo, law enforcement officers have have a vested interest in these obstacles being put in place is because for a long time, especially, you know, it was really, really humorous of Occupy Wall Street and how, you know, the organizers, the activists, the anarchists that participated in that, one of the ways they were able to basically be quite elusive with law enforcement officers is because law enforcement did not understand social media. And they didn't understand how, you know, organizing, you know, with with social media that they were being outsmarted. So basically law enforcement would show up in one area where they thought everybody was congregating or the protests were happening, and they would go to that area and no one would be there. And so I remember watching that play out. And, you know, I thought it was the funniest thing ever. I mean, it was hilarious. And so many of these groups do organize via social media. And, you know, there's a program called Stingray. And with that program, and there are several more now, but a lot of law enforcement agencies use Stingray in which they can listen in on your live calls, they can intercept your text messages and voicemail, listen to them before you even have a chance to listen or to read them. And it will still be marked as not read. And listen in on your phone calls. They are, um, you know, at this time, they are basically labeling certain activists as black identity ex- extremists. And it's so important for you all to understand you know, how all of that came about. And I do also want to say that, you know, even with the Women's March this past January and the organizing of that, and you have more women running for office. And when I say women, I mean trans women also. And, and you know, but I feel as though I shouldn't have to say that, but I want to make sure that it's understood because you have, you know, a number of turfs that are out here that are, you know, creating issues. And I feel, I feel that they're making things harder than they have to be. But that's just me and my opinion. But, um, you know, the social media has been used in a positive way to bring about these particular changes and also, you know, bring attention to these particular issues. I mean, even with the Me Too and what's happening and what's transpiring with that. So it's important that you guys pay attention and to understand what's happening out here and how these obstacles are being put in the way. And, you know, even with um, Say Her Name, and bringing attention to the 64,000-plus black women and girls that have gone missing. And there's basically little to no coverage of that and how many women of color in general have been working together to bring attention to these particular discrepancies and to these issues and, you know, in, in bringing out the dialogue and the communications And, you know, what many of us, when you hear us speak out about 
our issues with white feminists and the dialogues and the conversations happening in the white feminist community is because in many cases they're not addressing these particular issues. And while you'll have some of these white feminists saying that they don't want to talk about race because they feel that it's divisive, these conversations are needed. And so when you hear someone like me talking about the racism within these, you know, smaller communities like the feminist community, the LGBTQ community, the secular community, the disabled community, and and many, many more, you know, again, it's a mirror image. And they kind of run parallel to one another, and it's important that you guys know and understand that. And talking about race isn't divisive. Talking about race is divisive when the powers that be, particularly, you know, the white leadership in all of these particular communities, they don't want to address the issues. They do not want to experience any discomfort. They don't want to be, you know, uncomfortable in any means whatsoever. However, they will say that they support you and support your cause, but they don't understand or don't approve of certain techniques that we're using. And is those particular, that swath of white people that are right there in that particular buffer zone, you know, in most, in many cases, in most cases, these are white liberals and progressives and moderates. And I know some of you all get angry with some of the things that I say regarding that particular um, demographic, but what I'm saying is true. You know, there are a lot of races and sexes and misogynists and ableists and, you know, D all of the above in all of those communities. And ignoring it and not talking about it is not going to make it go away. What that's going to do is make you more comfortable, make you more comfortable in your white privilege and also, you know, trying to stifle, you know, the conversations around white supremacy. And so it's not going away. And then what happens is we create our own, you know, movements. We create our own comfort zones, our own communities. And, and, and then, again, we'll hear this, you're being divisive. Why can't we work together? And we never said that we couldn't work together. What we're saying is we can work together, but we have to address these particular issues. And here we go again. Well, that's divisive. No, it's not. Because, see, what you're telling me and what I hear when you say that is you will conform. You will know your place. We know what's good for you. We know what's best for you. And you people don't know how good you have it. And that also plays into that narrative that we gave you these things. We allowed you to acquire some wealth. We allowed you to be a part, you know, to, to, to be a part of social media and these, and these different communities. We allowed that to happen as though we are beholden to you and that we should bow down 
because you gave us a little something. And, you know, what's so interesting about that is you didn't give this to us. We went out and we took it or we created it. And what's interesting in a lot of these, you know, these different communities with the white people that are in leadership or call themselves the leadership is a lot of the talking points, a lot of um, the ideas, and, you know, and I can go on with that, but many of you have straight taken that from black women, and you continue to do so, and you resent the fact when it's brought up and when you're called out, and especially if you're called out in public or you've been doxxed. And then all of a sudden, you know, here we go with the white tears and dealing with the white fragility. And, you know, as Dr. Anthea Butler said, this white fragility is going to end up killing us. Because whenever we want to have some of these extremely important conversations, many of you want to shut it down because it upsets you. Or we don't see the situation the way that you do, and you're uncomfortable with that. And, again, you have, you know, many of these people who want to jump in front. See, they want to be a part of our movements and our communities. But when they come over, far too many of you want to take over. And that was one of the problems that quite a few of you had with Black Lives Matter when the black organizers and activists, when they were pushing the white people to the back and putting the black people in front of the microphone, a lot of white people got upset because they wanted to speak to our pain. And they not only wanted to speak to our pain, they, they wanted to explain what was happening in our communities when you don't really know. And let's just go on and be honest. The majority of white people do not live in communities that have people of color, specifically black people in them. And, you know, you really need to question yourself and ask yourself, how many black friends do you really have? And I'm not talking about that token friend, you know, or that one particular black person that you speak to every day, and every once in a while you'll ask them how they're doing, or, you know, no, I'm talking about people that have come into your home, that have sat down, eaten off of your fine china, and, and you know, and not just for special occasions. I mean, someone that comes to your home regularly, and I'm not talking about domestic workers, and I'm not talking about, you know, landscapers. And I'm not talking about anybody that's part of the service industry. Oh, well, you know, she works for us. I feel like we're friends. I feel like we're family. I'm not talking about those people. Oh, I have black employees, and we all, that's not your friend. You get along, yes, but that's not your friend. So, you know, it's, it's really important, you know, that you take a look at these things. But, again, with the net neutrality, we have to keep in mind that social media is very important, especially when we're talking about certain particular social issues and and elevating those issues to get the attention that it needs. And again, with that pinky in the brain administration, they're doing everything that they can to stop 
stifle the voices of communities of color, but especially black women. And and because of the Trump administration and what they stand on, you know, women in general. And so, you know, again, there are a lot of parallels in all of this. And it would be to, again, to all of our benefits to work together and to bring attention to this. But, yeah, you know, it's a lot to lose. They'll be able to um, determine what type of news that you see. I'm not sure if many of you saw the the reports that came out, but there are, you know, an alarming number of people who only get their news from Facebook. And, and with the algorithms that Facebook uses, again, is controlling what's coming in and what's going out. And, you know, when you hear all this talk about fake news, all of that is incorporated into that. And also Facebook was conducting experiments, whereas it would take a certain number of people or a group that they put together, and they would only allow certain types of news to go through the news feed. And, you know, again, to see the reaction of it. So you need to understand the social media and how, in some cases, social media is being used to manipulate and exploit different groups. But, yeah, you know, um, even, you know, so just go and read that article again from, you know, Essence and, again, what is net neutrality and how it affects black people and specifically how it affects black women. And, again, the article for the Koch brothers, um, it says Koch brothers are cities, new obstacles to building broadband, and that is on Wired. So go and, you know, read those articles, get involved, and write those letters, whether it's an email or snail mail or make the fear, you know, make a phone call, but access to the Internet you know, is not totally available to a lot of people, just like in a lot of these country areas or rural areas. Basically, all they have access to is right-wing news. And so many of you sit here and you criticize them for voting against their own interests. A part of this is the problem as well. And so, again, as I stated last week, you have people that are, you know, threatening or have canceled their shows on Sirius because of Breitbart and Steve Bannon. That's what happened with AM radio as well. And look at what has happened. So go back and look at the history of that and see why, in some people's opinion, that is a mistake. Because what you're doing is you're giving them the airways, which is what they want. So, again, go and take a look, read about those issues, better understand, you know, how it affects different communities. You know, and again, you know, with a lot of black women, you know, they've been able to, again, prosper and afford, you know, um, being able to get in the monies to take care of their families and give them the, the sort of independence 
that many of them need because, again, you have to remember that there are not very many jobs that will allow you to come into work at 10, 1030 after you've had a chance to take your children to school, drop them off at daycare, and then you come into the office. You know, not many corporations or jobs have an allowance for that, let alone, um, you know, going to pick the child up after school, maybe taking your lunch break then or however you do that. And, and it's difficult. And so, you know, just just going to take a look at that, air, um, that article on Essence. It was written by Maya Wiley. So that's extremely important. And so while I'm talking about that, I need to address a little bit more about what happened in Alabama and some of the talking points that are coming out of that. So let me go ahead and do the the show description for today. Dear Black America, question everything and everyone. Again, dear Black America, question everything and everyone. So I said, please join me Sunday as I discuss this reality show that we are being forced to participate in. The need to pay attention and question everything and everyone is imperative. Unfortunately, you will have people trying to sell you a bill of goods while neglecting to tell you that the product expired, you know, a year ago. And, you know, at this point in time, what's happening, we... You and I, we cannot afford to not pay attention. We cannot afford to not engage. We just can't afford to do that. And again, as I stated before, with this, you know, pinky in the brain administration, you know, they are basically telling people of color, especially black people, you will obey and you will conform. You know, and Omarosa, that means you too, my dear. And, you know, the difference between Omarosa and many of us is that Omarosa has placed herself in a position that she can capitalize off of these predicaments. And, again, I will say to you, Omarosa is not stupid, not by any means at all, and she knows exactly what she's doing, and unfortunately, many of us are not in that particular position, and again, you know, even your average, you know, person on the street, they are, you have a lot of opportunists, you have people out here that will use you to get what they want, and you're useful as long as you don't question them, as long as you do what they want you to do, you don't complain, and you take their bullshit, right? And you find that in all communities. But, you know, I've run into this a few times. And especially in the last seven years, 
some of the shit that I have had to deal with, and it's just is is sickening. So again, you know, again, Omarosa, that means you too. You will obey and conform. And so, like I said, now we're her people, and Donald Trump is racial, but not racist, according to Omarosa. And I would actually like Omarosa to explain how that works. So yet again, life is about to get really interesting. I'm waiting for them to arrest more people in this Mueller investigation. And again, they said at least three people are going to be indicted, you know, before Christmas or by Christmas. So we got one week. So this should be an exciting week. You know, it's going to be interesting. So there is an article, and I'm moving on now. There is an article that I want you guys to pay particular attention to. And again, you know, when I talk about these things, it's not that I condone it. So understand that because some of you, you listen to part of what I have to say, and then you turn around and you interpret it in in ways that's easier for you to grasp or that may fall into your particular narrative, and you like to twist my words, and I don't appreciate that. So when I talk about black nationalism, I'm talking about in, 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 many, in most cases, pretty much all cases, I'm talking about a select group of people. I don't believe that all black nationalism is bad. I'm talking about the tofu dashiki crew that falls in line with people like Umar Johnson and Tariq Nasheed and what's that dude's name? I'm trying to remember him, but he's a jackass too. Um, He's the one that hates, just absolutely hates black women. I can't think of his name right now, but you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about that particular group of people. And I guess you can add some other folks to that. People like Black Sun and, you know, that group of folks, Jeremiah Kamara, you know, those people right there. That's the group of people that are harmful. So, you know, with the black nationalism that I agree with, you know, majority of what is taking place in the statements that are coming from this other particular group, I guess the better way to explain, you know, the ones that I do support or somewhat support pan-Africanism, and there's a difference between the two. And so, again... You know, I'm not going to argue with you about these tofu dashikis and 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 their agenda and what they stand for, because again, they stand for white supremacy. So when you hear me talking about not all white supremacists are white, I'm talking about people like that. And it's not only in the black community; you have some Latinx people that are doing the same damn thing. And so this is why I say you must question everything and everyone, and you must pay attention. And that has been the problem. Way too many of you are not paying attention. And it's unfortunate. And, again, I want to tell you guys that I am doing the show live. And it seems as though 1 o'clock is the time that's best 
for me to do these shows. And if you want to call in, 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. There's been some confusion, and I understand because I was going to start um, you know, recording the shows in advance and then just putting it out there or, or making it open to the public on Sundays. But I've changed my mind. I'm not going to do that because I enjoy this particular format. So there's this one article, and it is on Right Wing Watch, right? And it's talking about Jesse Lee Peterson. And so the name of the article is Jesse Lee Peterson, Roy Moore's Loss is Proof, is proof That Black People Do Not Believe in God. And so Jesse Lee Peterson is this, this guy. And he inserts himself in a lot of different issues. And and basically you'll have, I'll give you an example, you'll have a movement or let's say you even had a rally or a march. And he's one of those people, you know, the protest is happening, people are marching, and, you know, he's three, four blocks away waiting for the march to get to where he is because he knows the route. And once you get to the location where he's standing, he jumps out in front and acts like that this was his march and that, you know, he's the leader and he was the organizer, the head organizer, and, you know, the ultimate activist when all he did was jump in front of the march and claim it. And there are a lot of people out there that's doing that. And it's just amazing. But the guy who wrote this article, his name is Kyle. And, again, you all know me in these last names. I think it's Mantila, M-A-N-T-Y-L-A. And this is on Right Wing March. And so, basically, Jesse Lee is unhappy that Roy Moore lost the election. And he's blaming it on black people because, as the mainstream media has reported, Black people showed up and they voted. And it was because of the black vote, Doug Jones, a Democrat, won that seat. And so you have Jesse Lee out here who's part of that conservative movement. And, you know, I talked about libertarianism, you know, quite a bit last week. And I'm going to talk about it quite a bit today. So I'm just going ahead and I'm setting your expectations because that's the direction that this show is headed in today. And so you have these libertarians, these, you know, the libertarian platform talking points that are being utilized by different people of color and especially some of these so-called leaders of color. And in and unfortunately, quite a few of them do not understand the talking points and the agenda and platform that they're trying to sell to the black community at large. So anyway, Peterson, this dude was upset, and he has his own little program, and, you know, and he likes to debate atheists, which is really interesting, but, you know, um, it is what it is. So he was upset because black voters supported more. And so he basically is saying that black people have been brainwashed 
dumbed down, demoralized, and they are corrupt people who do not believe in truth at all, not one iota. And what's interesting is even with some of these pastors in these churches, and I need you to listen, I need you to listen good, you have quite a few ministers and pastors that are out here putting forth these same talking points. And what I'm saying to the people is, are you paying attention to these folks? Because in many cases, they're saying one thing and doing another. And it's not only in the church. Again, you hear this in the secular community. You're hearing this in the feminist community, the LGBTQ, the disabled community. The talking points are the same. That's why when we would get some of these white callers that would call into the show after they made two or three, you know, different comments, that basically I would ask them if they were libertarians. And they would seem perplexed at how quickly I was able to pick that up. And that's because I read and I pay attention. And I do listen to different podcasts out there and especially podcasts coming from specific genres or groups of people because I need to know what they're talking about. And unfortunately, there are too many people out here that will not read or listen to anything by anyone who has an opposing viewpoint or ideology, and that is to your detriment. And this is how you get caught up in these nets, you get caught up into a lot of the bullshit that's out there. And so, again, you know, this is coming from Right Wing Watch. And he says, and this is another quote allegedly from Jesse Lee Peterson, there is no way that you can be a son or daughter of God and a Christian and support anyone who represents the Democratic platform or the Democratic Party. That's the reality. How can you be of God, of good or of God, of truth, of love, and vote for a man such as Doug Jones or even Barack Hussein Obama? And it's, it's this type of rhetoric and talk is dangerous. You know, that one guy in New York City, his name was Manning. And he basically had the same talking points. And what I want to say to you guys is it's important that you understand this. It's important that you understand where these talking points are coming from and who benefits from that. And I'm talking about on both sides. Is the pastor benefiting from it? You know, are you at the bus stop, you know, while they ride by you in their Maybach and ride by you in their Bentley or their Benz, you know, you need to think about that. Because many of them are misusing you and taking advantage of you. And it's so unfortunate because black people in general you know, we've been taught to forgive and all of these things. And I'm loving the fact that you have people out here saying, I'm not forgiving you for anything. And it's unfortunate when you have people like some of these ministers and pastors 
just damn near, you know, breaking their leg or ankle to push you to the front of the microphone to tell these white people that you're not going to retaliate, that you're not going to seek retribution, that there would be no consequences or repercussions of the damage and the harm that they've done. And this is why many of them do not worry about it, and many of them get to two-stepping around and saying to you that, you know, you have to forgive them and, and, and that you have to obey. They use the Bible. And that's the reason why you have quite a few of these folks that have a problem with Islam. Number one, it's a black and brown religion that they have not found how to exploit or how to use the Quran to force these people to what? Obey and conform. And so that's why you see a lot of these all-out attacks. And so it's important that you know this and that you understand it. And these talks points are used in all of these communities. So when you hear me talking about these things, I'm not talking about one specific community. I'm talking across the board. But when I am talking about a specific community, I call it out for what it is. And that's that. And so what's so interesting is you have different people out here, especially the ones that want to contain and control me. And they'll say, well, if you keep talking about this, Kim, or you keep bringing attention to this, that, any other, we're not going to support you. Well, you've not been supporting me from the beginning. So you so-called withdrawing your support, it means absolutely nothing to me. You've never supported me from the beginning. And for a few of you who call yourself supporting me, know what you did was you were in your own futile way attempting to control me. And when you found out that you didn't have the control that you thought you had, then you changed your tune. Which is why I find all of this hilarious in certain situations. And you know, the last thing you want is to really fuck around with someone who has nothing to lose. So it would behoove you to move on. And so in this particular article, I talked about it last week, about how they're conflating these different talking points in their efforts to infiltrate these different communities. So now this is the thing. Let me make it clear. they already infiltrated these different communities. They've infiltrated the religious community, the secular community, the LGBTQ community, the feminist, you know, the disabled, so on and so forth. So do not even for one minute think that your particular community is untouched or infallible or, or, or you know, that these people haven't made, made any headway. Yes, they have. Because if you go back and you start listening to the talking points that are out here and that are being stated, and so with one caller that used to call in, he 
was talking about the liberalism and how certain talking points have been, you know, being highlighted by black women in the black community, there's some truth to what he said. Because with some of these white liberals, their objectives are not necessarily pure because, you know, again, they want to promote their particular agenda. But the same thing holds true for some of these conservatives and these libertarians. And you have a right to choose what you want. But all I say is that you need to have a better understanding of what you're choosing. And you'll have people say, well, I agree with this, this, and this. And then you'll have someone like me say, well, what about this, 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 and this? Oh, well, I don't agree with that. Well, that's the very foundation of the ideology that you're proclaiming that you believe in and that you're espousing. So you need to go and do some more reading. And so in this particular article, it talks about the white supremacists and white nationalists. And there's another article out there, and I don't know where it went. I had it up here, but it was talking about the alt Right, these white supremacists, and basically when they talk about anti-capitalism, I had to find an article, so I'm going to post it. When they talk about anti-capitalism, and this article went into this. It's a part of this article too, but this article just went deep into it. When you hear these white supremacists out here saying that they're anti-capitalist, what they're doing is they're really pointing to the Jewish community. They're anti-Jewish folks. They're anti-Jewish, Jewish capitalism, Jewish prosperity, and you need to read a lot more into this. And unfortunately, you know, when they conflate these messages, you know, a lot of people get confused. And that's what we're trying to prevent. And so, you know, one of the talking points, you know, at least in this article, is talking about Eli Mosley. And, you know, he's one of these white supremacists, and he's with this group called Identity Europa, right? And so he says we need to be explicitly anti-capitalist. There is no other way forward for our movement. And now, so what you need to do is when you read that and you see that, you need to understand where they're coming from because they want anti-capitalism in regards to anyone that's not a wasp. And while they allow certain ethnic whites to participate in their particular movements in their groups, they're talking about you too, and you need to understand that. But you'll find that out, and you're going to find it out the hard way. And so what they're doing is they're focusing on, you know, leftists, as they call them, you know, people with a more so-called liberal viewpoint or stance. And in 2018, they're going to be coming at you, and they're going to be coming at you hard. And they've been coming at you hard for the past several years. And we've pointed a lot of this stuff out to you guys, and you didn't believe it. And now you're realizing that it was true. And it's a lot of stuff that we missed. 
And even if we hadn't missed it, you wouldn't have believed us any damn way. You didn't believe us with the other stuff, so you wouldn't have believed us with that. And so what they're doing is they're infiltrating, again, different groups in these movements, and they're bringing people in. And even if they have to allow a couple of black people or brown people, red or yellow people, into these particular movements, then, you know, what they will do is give these particular people of color a false sense of security, a false sense of community, a false sense of identification, if you will, and this is so that they can get their way. But while they can also use people of color to go out there and shuck and jive for them and push the message through different communities of color, and this is why I'm saying question everything and everyone. That includes me. And I always tell you guys, you know, research what I'm saying. Don't just take me for my word. I don't want you to do that. I want you to go and read. And the reason why I advocate that is because once you go and you start reading and researching this, I know it's going to lead to other things that, you know, you may have questioned in the past or things that you never even thought about questioning. They were kind of like a given in that particular proof that you're, you know, that you're operating from. So, again, you know, they're pushing that right-wing agenda. They're pushing that white supremacist platform. And, you know, you'll hear them talking about being corporatized and capitalized and, again, running with that, you know, fake news narrative and, you know, everything is empty and fake, all of that. This is what they're saying, and this is what they're doing. And unfortunately, with this pinky in the brain administration, what's happening is, you know, they have you questioning everything and everyone, and I guess that's good, you know. However, if there's something you disagree with, you can't automatically label it as fake news or fake information or totally dismiss it. You may not agree, but can you stand there and say why you don't agree? And so what's been, you know, really interesting to me is when I see people go out and they, you know, question certain people about their ideology and their belief system, they'll ask them, well, why do you believe this way? And many of them can't answer that question. Oh, I don't have a the information, but it's true, and it's not true. And especially, you know, you had people out there um, professing their belief. Roy Moore was innocent, and Doug Jones, and Other saying out there that you can have your own facts, but you can't have your own truth. And you'll hear many people saying, well, 
Well, that's the truth. That's your truth. That's how you see that. But it does not make it factual. And so you need to pay attention to these people and what they're bringing to you. And you need to question what they are going to gain. particular situation. Oh, and unfortunately, it's our communities that are being hurt. I love my phone, but I phone all xenophobia and xenophobia basically fear of anything that you do to understand that's basically what it means and unfortunately that plays out quite a bit in this country and it's everyday people you know people you and I who are being hurt by this and so when these people I hey you all sorry about that apparently my phone cut off in the middle that's why you may not have heard when I said I love my phone and I hate it all at the same time so sorry about that probably about two, three minutes of dead air, so my apologies. And you may not have heard what I was um, talking about specifically, but I was talking about some of these white supremacists that are critiquing capitalism, they're critiquing liberalism, of course, um, they're critiquing materialism and the shallowness of pop culture. And as I was stating, that I've always been a critic of pop culture, and, you know, I've been doing that for decades. This is not something new. I feel that it has a very destructive um, influence on many communities, but that's me. And so, again, when you hear these white supremacists and they talk about, you know, um, economic justice, when they talk about economic justice, they're talking about economic justice for white people, you know, and they are incorporating, you know, the talking points of social justice. But again, is social justice for white people. And you must understand that. And again, like I stated last week, I was talking about Jewish people and and ethnic whites, other ethnic whites. And with this particular white supremacist movement, um, again, they are white supremacists, and they have a problem with Jewish people overall. And so that's why you hear some of that rhetoric that's coming out, the anti-Semitism. And, you know, even with what happened in Charlottesville, they were saying Jews will not replace us. You know, and you really need to pay attention to that. And what's happening is they see a lot of the 
talking points that are out there. Now, again, I want you all to understand, you know, talking about anti-capitalism and neoliberalism, liberalism the way it is right now and how problematic it is, this is nothing new. And if you go back to the 50s and 60s and even before then, the 20s and 30s, you'll hear a lot of socialism and Marxism out there. And for, you know, communities of color, specifically the black and Latino communities, if you go back and you look at these different social movements that have, you know, transpired over the years, quite a bit of it is draped, if you will, in Marxism and socialism. And what these white supremacists are doing is they're taking the language and the talking points and they're incorporating it. And they make it sound good. They make it look pretty. And unfortunately, you'll have some people of color that fall in line with that because, again, you got to remember, you know, you got different people with different agendas out here. And so, again, you know, they're trying to make their way into these communities. And, you know, especially some of the things that I've seen with pickup artists and these men rights, you know, movements, and this white supremacist movement, and the only way that they're going to be able to build and grow is to come into these liberal communities and and convince them that this is the way that they need to go. And, you know, you still have the aggrieved white people, but particularly the aggrieved, angry white men that are out here who have taken on a victim mentality. And so it's easy for them to get caught up into this and to take this to heart and join these movements. And what's interesting is that you have some people that have joined these movements, and once they start questioning things and hearing what's going on, they leave these movements. You know, you may want to look up an article and it's talking about, and I think Raina posted it on my wall, but it's talking about ex-evangelicals that have left the church because they finally realized that, you know, it has a white supremacist platform. And for, you know, black America, black community, a lot of black churches have bought into that white supremacist message. So the name of this article is, ex-evangelicals recount living, leaving the church after realizing it sanctions white supremacy. And that's not only the church. You have a lot of people leaving, you know, the secular community. You have a lot of people leaving the feminist community as well as the LGBTQ community and the disabled community in regards to a lot of the protesting, a lot of the activism because it sanctions white supremacy. You know, we've talked about the LGBTQ community and the racism and sexism, you know, and even homophobia and transphobia within that particular community. The best example is with Proposition 8 in California. And also another example of it is how when the gay movement started, which was started by black and Latinx, um, trans people in New York, Stonewall, and how in order to make the movement and the message 
palatable, if you will, was to basically whitewash that movement. And that's what's been happening across the board. And you have people out here that are questioning and that are reading and just calling bullshit on a lot of the things that are happening. However, you know, you still have people that are, you know, draped in that message and that are not trying to hear what other folks are saying. But, oh, yeah, I was telling you all what happened at the chicken shack. And so it turned out, turned into, you know, an all-out conversation. Now, mind you, this is a group of black people, and all the participants in this conversation were black people. But the people that worked at the chicken shack, were black people and Latinx folks. And so, you know, us talking about immigration, I think it kind of made a couple of people nervous. And, you know, and, if, and with this one particular older black man, you know, he was just spitting out all of these right-wing talking points. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you, that's wrong. And so some of the young black guys, you know, they could see my old, I must let you know, I was the only woman in that conversation. So these are all black men and then me. And so when I started talking about affirmative action, and, you know, because the older black man was like, well, we can't even go to the hospital anymore. And, the, you know, the emergency rooms are filled with all of these illegal people and just all of this craziness. And I'm like, that's not necessarily true. And so I, I recommended the book, When Affirmative Action Was White, by Ira Katz Nelson, as well as Fear Itself by Ira Katz Nelson. Um, you have other books out there, The Wages of Whiteness. You have, you know, a number of books talking about whiteness, the fragility of whiteness, and, and how we got to where we are now. And when I was explaining to him that affirmative action was created for white women specifically, and specifically white women who had husbands that were in the military, and how all of this came about, and how it was, you know, black people and people of color really didn't start receiving a lot of these benefits until the 60s and the 70s. And when that happened, they changed the game. And that's what's happening now when black and brown, red and yellow people, but specifically black and brown people start presenting themselves or joining these different types of movements or gaining access to certain type of programs. Then they go in and they change the rules because there's too many black and brown people benefiting from it. And so it was an interesting conversation but, yeah, they got my order. It was about five people ahead of me, but they got me out of there because I was, it was pretty much me and one of the other black guys against, you know, the rest of them. But, you know, it was it was an interesting experience. But, you know, again, with a lot of this rhetoric that's out here, you'll hear a lot of these white supremacists talking about the bourgeoisie or the bougie folks, right, and you'll hear a lot of messages um, promoting individualism and nativism and nationalism. And, you know, you'll hear them talking about, um, you know, basically sticking up workers, what's been happening in this country with the capitalism 
and the corporatism that the workers are being robbed. And there is a lot of truth in, in these arguments. But, again, they're advocating social justice for white folks. And so, you know, what's happened is, you know, there have been some upsets, if you will, in some of these communities, and specifically, you know, I talk about, you know, the feminist community as well as the secular community. And, you know, again, you have to add the other ones in, but when I'm talking right now, specifically talking about those two particular communities. So you have these white feminists and these white secularists or atheists or what have you, they don't want to address racism specifically. You know, they have these messages of diversity across the board, yet they're not really making any attempts to be diverse. And yet they're stealing the words and ideas and the platforms of black women and incorporating it into their particular agenda and then get upset and cry those white tears when black people, but specifically black women, speak up. And so, you know, it's just been really interesting because, you know, across the board in all of these communities, what I've been seeing is they're trying to incorporate the message of diversity, the message of social justice, you know, economic parity or economic justice, in some cases, um, environmental justice, and you need to understand that with the issues that we are having environmentally, um, poor people, but specifically communities of color, are extremely disadvantaged in being used as guinea pigs. As a matter of fact, you may want to look up what happened at the UN um, a couple of years ago when Africa charged the UN with genocide, well, especially the Western uh, Western European countries in America. They're charging us with genocide because you have people like the Pinky and the Brain Administration stating that, you know, environmental issues aren't as bad as people are trying to make them think and that, you know, this is all a hoax and read. I need you to read and to research. So, again, you're hearing these messages from them regarding materialism, individualism, nationalism, especially nativism, and they're incorporating and they're convoluting the conversation and conflating the different ideologies, and this is being done on purpose. And you need to understand. And so when you start seeing these people going from one extreme to the other, and it's usually after the powers that be have given them permission to do so, have given them the head nod that it is okay to do this. But again, you know, it's interesting for some of the tokens of color that they are sending out there with these messages, they don't in many cases fully understand, but do understand this. Some of them know fully well what the hell they're saying and doing. 
and the only thing they're interested in is promoting themselves. They're opportunists. That has not changed. It only becomes more obvious with time, but they don't give a damn about you and what you're trying to do. And so this is what I mean when I say question everything and question everyone. And, you know, even within the secular community specifically, you have some believers that are a part of this community. Now, some of them, you know, they agree with some of what's being said in the secular community, but some of the other ones, they don't believe anything that's being said over here. Their goal and their agenda is to come over and to destroy or, you know, deconstruct and dismantle from the inside out. And they've been doing a really good job. You know, last week I touched upon the liberalism to alt-right, you know, pipeline that's happening. And there are many articles about that out there. And it's true. And so you just need to pay attention. And especially when you hear all of this pretty language, all of these beautiful words and sentiments, you need to question how sincere it really is. And who's going to benefit from that? So, you know, when you hear these white supremacists and white nationalists out here, you know, allegedly becoming more hostile towards, again, capitalism and the neoliberalism, quite a bit of that is acting. So you have people out here that are you know, perform, you know, out here performing whiteness or performative whiteness, just like you have performative blackness and you have performative, you know, Latinx. And so, you know, there are some people out here that are willing to say and in some cases willing to do anything to make it to the next level, to you know, uh, enrich themselves, hey, Omarosa, and, you know, a number of other folks. And so don't get caught up in the hype. That's all I can tell you. And, again, you know, black community and a black church, they're infiltrating you as well. And we need to be very, very careful about that. You know, because I'll even admit that for a while I was sold on some of the goods and services that some of these people were offering until I really, really stopped and started listening. And I'm like, that doesn't sound right. You know, it's like it sounds good, but it doesn't sound right. You know, that's like someone setting a plate of food in front of you and you take a bite. And it's like, man, a little salt and pepper, maybe some, you know, garlic or garlic powder would make would really set this off. You know, you know the food is good, but it's something missing. And that's how I describe that particular situation of, you know, when I was buying into some of this. And, again, if you go back and you listen to some of the old podcasts, you will definitely see a difference in, you know, some of the things that I said then. And some of the things that I said now, I'm not afraid to admit when I've been wrong. And I'm proud to say that I've grown. 
because of what we're doing, you know, with this metamorphosis or this evolution that we have in our own personal lives. You know, sometimes you have to, you know, let some shit go, you know, or some cases shed some skin. In some other cases, you know, crawl up out of that cocoon, you know, the bubbles that many of us are living in. And it's uncomfortable when you make those transitions or when you make that metamorphosis or you go through that particular evolution, but it's necessary. And change is scary, but it's necessary. So, I mean, I use myself as an example. You know, people change. And to know better is to do better. And I'm proud of the fact that, you know, I've grown in a number of ways. But, you know, you know, there are quite a few different things that, you know, I think you need to keep your eye on and pay attention, you know, to. Um, there is an article out here, you know, written in the root, and it was talking about, for the love of God, question mark, evangelical drug traffickers are terrorizing practitioners of Afro-Brazilian religions. And so in that particular article, um, you know, it's talking about how, you know, black and brown people that practice different religions are being hurt and harmed and and targeted, you know. And even though, you know, in that particular article it's talking about black Brazilians, the same thing is happening over here in America. And I will say that, you know, the black community and particularly the black church, you are having people infiltrating and you have people out here terrorized. And there's a reason for that. So, you know, if you want a better example as to what's happening with a lot of these white supremacists, white nationalists, domestic terrorists, you know, that are happening, unfortunately, even with some of the evangelicals, the white evangelicals in this country, you know, they're terrorizing, you know, black communities and the black church. And that's why an all-out brawl broke out this year when the Southern Baptists decided to denounce white supremacy. Look that up. And so, you know, I'm not against the church. And I'm sure as hell not against the black community. And from being a part of another, you know, a number of these other communities and seeing what's happening and what's being condoned and what's being promoted, it made me pause. And it made me rethink a lot of things. It made me go back and do some things over. And while I'm not an apologist of any kind for any of these communities, because all of you are fucked up in a number of ways, what's happening in the black community, in the black church, and where this is coming from, um, you know, it was a book written by Michael Lackey, and it's talking about the difference, you know, in the white church and the black church and the difference 
to a certain degree between black atheism and white atheism. There are differences. And I understand the role of the black church or what it used to mean in the black community and how that has changed over the years. And all I'm trying to get you to do is to question everything and everyone and go back and read and research the history and do a comparative analysis of what's taking place now and what was happening then. And if you're going to a church and the pastor is telling you that God wants everybody to be a millionaire or a billionaire or wealthy, but you have to wait for yours, but they get theirs right here and now. You need to question that because one of the very worst things that ever happened to the black community was that prosperity gospel. And unfortunately, because of, you know, a lot of the hopelessness, a lot of the helplessness, a lot of the depression, a lot of the oppression, suppression, all of that happening in black and brown communities, specifically black communities, what that has done was it created and cultivated and fostered environments in which you have some people out here saying by any means necessary that they are going to climb up and out of that pit. Now, there is nothing wrong with having aspirations, having goals, and having a plan and strategizing. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about are people who are self-serving opportunists that are using you to enrich themselves, while at the same time telling you that you are unworthy. And, and and at the end of the day, they come out smelling like a rose. You know, you're not getting these miracles. You're not getting the breakthroughs that you want. This is all happening because you didn't have enough faith. And in other communities, well, you weren't out here in the trenches enough. You weren't out here working with these white organizations and with these white people enough. And so, you know, they moved on and you missed out. But if you really want it, here, come follow us. We're people of color too, and we have inroads into that community and let us help you. But there's a catch to it. You must do this, this, and that and allow this to happen even though you question it, even though you may think certain things are wrong. This is what you must do, and you must be beholden to me. Telling you, don't fall for the bullshit, because what you're seeing in your own community, whether it's the black church, the black community, you know, the same shit you're seeing over here, you're going to see the same thing in all of these other communities. And, you know, I'll go on ahead and put this out here. You know, this is nothing, this is a sentiment that I've never hidden. And everybody knows this. There's a reason why I do not support the mainstream LGBTQ community. There is a reason why I do not support the white feminist community. There is a reason why I do not support white Christianity and what they're doing. 
There is a reason why I do not support the white secular community. There is a reason why I do not support, you know, the white disabled community. There are reasons. And when I say I do not support them, what I'm talking about specifically is I am not going to go out here and cheerlead for them. I am not going to go out here and shuck and jive for them. I am not going to go out here and put my name on the line for these communities when they have not addressed the issues that are happening internally. So, you know, when I say these things, that does not mean that I am anti any of these communities. What I'm saying is I will not allow them to use me as a tool or a vehicle to make inroads into the black community or the black church. That's not going to happen. But I will give just due to whom it's deserved. And when I see these organizations doing the right thing, I will acknowledge that. And when I see these different organizations and communities trying to do what is right, I will acknowledge that, but I will also acknowledge when they're on some bullshit, and I will always put out the clarion call to tell the black community and the black church to pay attention to the bill of goods that these people are trying to sell them. You know, yeah, it looks good, you know, and and you may be hungry, you know, and when I say that, I'm not talking literal hunger. I'm talking about you know, the desire, and there are certain needs and wants that that are, are not being fulfilled in your life, and you're trying to find an answer. You're trying to find a better way. You're trying to understand what's happening around you because there's a lot of confusion out there, and that's being done on purpose. And so it's important that you take time out and you question this. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, I was talking about net neutrality and the impact that it's going to have on communities of color, because what you need to understand is that they will be able to filter out information that they deem as toxic or or threatening or a little bit too challenging. And, again, this is about controlling the message and controlling the information that is out there. And this is why you hear many of us, when we talk about television and mainstream news and talk about our distrust of what's happening and what's going on out there, this is part of it. You have people out here that want to instruct you and tell you how to think and what to think and how to live, and who you should follow, and all of these different things. And that is for a reason. And, again, it's about containment, and it's about control. And you need to understand. So, you know, if you want to get a better understanding, uh, basically it was this style guide that was put out there. And, you know, I read this article on Huffington Post. And the title of the article is, This is the Daily Stormer's Playbook. And you need to read that and you need to pay attention because if you look at how they're setting these things up, they are doing this very same thing in all of these communities. And this is one of the reasons why I'm saying that 
you know, those of you who consider themselves liberal, why I think you're doing yourself in the community a disservice by abandoning AM radio, abandoning serious, you know, um, radio, and just giving it to these people. This is how we ended up in a position that we're in. And for a number of these communities, you know, you know, I've seen quite a few white people out here, and especially one particular turf in the white atheist community saying that, you know, they were upset and angry because they don't believe that all white people are racist and they are, they're not racist and that's not, you know, and again, they've taken that opportunity to turn themselves into the victim. And and basically what they do is they take the message away from people of color, particularly black people, and they turn the story and turn themselves into the victim. And this is, you know, one of the plays. And so you need to pay attention to that and see how they're taking the narrative and they're twisting it and how they're conflating the messages and and, and and see, it sounds good, and they're doing that on purpose. But what they do know, and this is even within the church, a lot of these pastors and ministers know that many of you are going to just take their words for it and that you're not going to go and research it or you're not going to go and read the Bible for yourself. And and also when they give you these scriptures, when you know, and even with these people out here that are, not part of the church, and they start talking about social justice, they'll talk about one thing and switch off quickly to another thing, and they do that. That is called proof texting. Proof texting when it comes to the Bible, and I'm not quite sure what the word is, you know, when you're just listening to message and words coming out of these people's mouths. So, again, I just take that as they're conflating the message because they know that you're not going to go back and research and you're not going to go back and read and you're not going to question them and you're not going to question what they're saying because, unfortunately, too many of you, us, have been trained to just take these people at their word and just go along with that because why would they tell you the wrong thing? Why would they put you in that position and you've never had any reason to question this thing or question this person? And that is what has gotten quite a few of us in trouble. So, again, go and read that, you know, article talking about the Daily Stormers playbook and just sit back and think about how these same plays are being run in the various communities, you know, and specifically in a lot of these white communities or predominantly white communities. You know, whenever a person of color, and don't let you have a vagina, right, when you speak up, they get angry. And they start distorting their faces or they try to interrupt you or they try to deflect and derail the conversation or try to deny. And, you know, one of the disadvantages that many of us have is sometimes we don't have the language 
or we don't have the information, or we don't have, you know, the words. And we know what we're saying is true and right. And we know that we're right. We become so frustrated and angry because sometimes it's hard to follow up and to knock down, you know, the straw man arguments that they put out there or the tautological arguments that are prevalent in many of these communities. And when I talk about tautological arguments, what I'm talking about specifically is you'll have people out here that will tell you, well, this is not about race and and that you need to to um, disregard, you know, the, the calls and the accusation of racism and that the real issue is classism. Now, I don't necessarily disagree when we talk about issues of classism. However, with a lot of these white people, what they're doing is they're trying to deflect from talking about racism and have you talk about classism because why? Unfortunately, when they have these conversations, that white privilege takes over. They don't have to think about racism. Just like many men, but specifically white men, they don't have to think about sexism or misogyny. And this is their way of deflecting the conversation or derailing the conversation that you're having because these are things that they don't have to think about and that they don't want to talk about because it makes them uncomfortable. And so you need to understand how, you know, they're using you and how they're putting these different messages out here in their futile attempts to confuse you and to push you away from, you know, your particular communities and support base. Because, again, with many of them, they want to divide and conquer. And what they're trying to do is, for some of you, is to push you out and to isolate you and to get inside your head and make you feel and make you think that you're the only one that feels that way. You're the only one that thinks that way. And that's another reason why they want this net neutrality, so that we can't talk to each other and compare these stories and call them out for their bullshit. So, you know, I know some of the people are out there like, how are you bringing all of this together and this is one thing and this is another? No, it's all tied together. And that's what I'm trying to get you guys to understand. And when we talk about white supremacy and, you know, white nationalism, it's in all of these communities. And it all boils down to the only thing they want, especially, and you're seeing it. And this is the thing, like, you're talking about all of these things, Kim, but we don't see it. Look at what's happening with the Pinky and the Brain administration. This right here is the absolute best example, the best living, you know, the best public example of people trying to make white men, cisgendered, educated, the nucleus of the conversation. 
and everything is to be centered around white, cisgendered, heterosexual men, you know, educated, wealth, all of that, Donald Trump, Steve Bannon, and even some of the white male liberals out here, they're trying to make everything white male-centered. Understand that. And that falls into the libertarianism, falls into the tea partiers, it falls into all of that. And even with the white feminist community, like, well, how can that apply there? It's centered around white women and what white women want. And again, 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump. And I think 57% of white women voted for Roy Moore. But yet you want us to follow you and leave race out? We can't afford to do that. All right, y'all. You enjoy your Sunday. Thank you for joining me. Can't wait to talk to you next Sunday. And I'm back. I'm back with a fucking vengeance. All right, y'all. Take it easy and enjoy your Sunday. Take care. This is Kim of Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Take care.